Welcome to Screen Time with Rokan and Richard Roper. I'm Richard Roper. Rokan is on assignment. On today's episode of Screen Time, believe it or not, it's almost September. Thoughts are returning to going back to school. Maybe you're going back to school. Maybe the kids are. Maybe your friend's kids are. Or maybe you just remember what it was like to go back to school. That combination of dread and excitement that most of us feel around mid-August. And we still do years after we're out of school because we still remember what it was like getting ready, whether it was for grade school, high school, college, and beyond. So we're going to take a look at some of the best back-to-school movies of all time, movies set in and around. We're mostly doing high school. We could do a whole other podcast about the collegiate experience, but in most of the cases here, these are movies about the high school experience. Before we get to that, I want to remind you that Screen Time with Rowan Roper is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, and to compete in today's online business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall business's success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com to get started today. Okay, we're going to do this alphabetically because I have pretty much equal affection for all of these back-to-school movies. I could do 50, but that would be the longest podcast of all time, and we're not going to do that. But these are definitely some of my all-time favorites. So we're going to start off with a 2019 movie, it was the directorial debut for Olivia Wilde, and it's called Booksmart. Let's take a listen. We have to go to a party tonight. What? Nobody knows that we are fun. We didn't party because we wanted to focus on school and get into good colleges. And it worked. But the irresponsible people who partied also got into those colleges. I'm incredible at hand jobs, but I also got a 1560 on the SATs. We haven't done anything. We haven't broken any rules. Name one person whose life was so much better because they broke a couple of rules. Picasso. He broke art rules. Rosa Parks. Name another Susan one. Susan B. Anthony. God damn it. I just love uh, Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Deaver here as these two high school seniors, Amy and Molly. It's kind of got the same premise as super bad, but now we're hearing it from the point of view of the women, the young women. They're best friends. They're both, you know, they've spent four years in high school dedicating themselves to becoming the best so they can go to the best colleges and have the best experiences. And in the meantime, they kind of forgot to enjoy high school. And then there's this great moment early on when Molly confronts a group of classmates because they've always made fun of her for being just such a bookworm, if you will, and tells them, well, you know, guess what? I'm going to Yale. And then she finds out that all three of them are going to great schools and they've done really well. And she has stereotyped them instead of the other way around. She has stereotyped them as being dopey losers who are going to, you know, not you know, be working in the, you know, the fast food industry the rest of their lives. When in fact, they actually are having great futures ahead of them. They manage to balance studies and having fun. And whoops, Maybe Amy and Molly should have done that all along. So now we get the obligatory, let's pack everything into one night storyline, which we get in a lot of these high school movies. And it's just, it's done with intelligence and sensitivity. And yet there's a lot of wacky comedy as well. So uh, we're kicking it off with Booksmart. I want to go back more than 30 years for my next selection. We're saying back to school movies. These aren't movies necessarily where they're going back to school, but we're going back to school. 1991, Boys in the Hood. 
in South Central LA, it's tough to beat the streets. You have to think, young brother, about your future. Trey wanted to work his way up. Ricky was looking for a better life. Doughboy was living by the laws of the street. Can we have one night where there ain't no fight, nobody gets shot? It's hard to be a saint in South Central LA. I don't understand why you insist on learning things the hard way, Trey, but you're gonna learn. Now, this was uh, the great John Singleton wrote and directed this, and it started off as a, a student project for him. And this is a film that resonates today as well as it did back in 1991. Uh, it stars Cuba Gooding Jr., Morris Chestnut, Ice Cube, Lawrence Fishburne, Nia Long, Regina King, Angela Bassett, amazing cast. And this is, uh, you know, the story uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. plays Trey Styles. Uh, he's 17 years old, and he's, again, we're in a situation where someone is hoping to get to college and make a better life for himself. But of course, this is a completely different environment than Booksmart. And a lot of these films, which are often set in kind of a white suburban atmosphere, because the, the reality here is that for Trey and his friends, it's not just about getting good grades and getting into a good college. It's about literally surviving in neighborhoods where there's gang violence, where there's drug use where there's all kinds of problems. And uh, this is a bittersweet film from start to finish. I think it resonates in so many ways because so many of the problems, unfortunately, faced by the 17-year-olds, you know, Doughboy was the Ice Cube character. Ricky Baker was the Morris Chestnut character. The problems they face are the same that a lot of young people are still facing today. And I think this film also just influenced a whole generation of filmmakers. Boys in the Hood, 1991, a great film. That, of course, is the Simple Minds classic, Don't You Forget About Me, which played over the closing credits of The Breakfast Club from 1985, one of the most beloved high school movies of all time, and deservedly so. This is a John Hughes film, of course. This one is set at the fictional Shermer High School, which is a north suburban area of Chicago. There's not an actual Shermer High School, but Many, many of uh, the John Hughes High School movies were in and around Shermer High School, whether we're talking about, you know, 16 Candles or The Kids from Uncle Buck, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So we get a very small film. I mean, this costs like a million dollars to make and made more than $50 million, which would be twice that in today's dollars. And it's a very simple setup. Five students have to report for detention. And you've got Brian the Nerd, Andrew the Varsity Wrestler, the introverted Allison Reynolds, the popular snob Claire, and of course, John Bender, the delinquent. Uh, great cast there. And as we see them go through a day of detention, and they don't know each other. You know, it's a big high school. A couple of them do. The wrestler and the, you know, the kind of prom queen type are friends. The rest of them are kind of, you know, there's a nerd and the two outcasts. They get to know each other through the course of the day. And, you know, it's the classic setup where you think of us as a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess and a criminal. But all of us, each of us are all of those things. It is now 7.06. You have exactly eight hours and 54 minutes to ponder the error of your ways. Any questions? Yeah. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? A brain, a beauty, a jock, a rebel, 
and a recluse. I can't believe this is really happening to me. Before this day is over, they'll break the rules. The Breakfast Club. Really good writing, terrific young cast who went on to do a lot of great things. Uh, One of John Hughes's best movies, Breakfast Club. Let's switch gears completely to Carrie from 1976. It's the night of the senior prom. Everybody is there, even Carrie White. The girl no one likes and everyone makes fun of. The girl who lives in that creepy house. The girl with the strange power. But tonight, if you have a taste for terror, you have a date with Carrie. Uh, this is, of course, and they've done remakes and reboots and all that kind of stuff, but you can't top the original from Brian De Palma, 1976, Carrie. Stephen King wrote the novel for this, and it was his first published novel. I think it's actually the first Stephen King work to be turned into either a film or a television show. There have been more than 100 of them since then. I mean, Stephen King just, he's the gift, the horrific gift that keeps on giving. He also has given us the source material for non-horror classics such as Stand By Me and The Shawshank Redemption. So, I mean, he could do anything and everything, and he has. Sissy Spacek playing Carrie White, the 16-year-old girl who's mocked and bullied at school and has these supernatural powers and eventually puts them to horrific use in one of the most famous prom scenes of all time. What a supporting cast. Piper Laurie as Carrie's mother, Amy Irving, Nancy Allen, William Catt, PJ Souls, who was in a bunch of really cool horror films over the years, Betty Buckley as the sympathetic administrator's teacher, and John Travolta, of course. And man, they really shouldn't have dumped that pick, uh, that bucket of pig's blood on Carrie. That was a big mistake. Huge, huge. One of the great horror movies of all time. Brian De Palma, who of course has gone on to do a lot of great stuff. You can see how much he's influenced by the likes of Alfred Hitchcock early on in Carrie, 1976. From 1995, Clueless, another film that people just love, uh, even though it's very much of the 90s. It still has just, you know, a great cast. It has a real sweet nature to it and is also very funny. Wow. You guys talk like grown-ups. Oh, well, this is a really good school. Hello? There was a stop sign. I totally paused. You tried driving in platforms. Oh, should I write them a note? Ew, get off of me. Ah, as if. Cher's got attitude about high school boys. It's a personal choice every woman has got to make for themselves. I mean, you see how picky I am about my shoes, and they only go on my feet. This is Amy Heckerling directing this with Alicia Silverstone, Stacey Dash, Brittany Murphy, and, of course, Paul Rudd. And it, this is a, basically a, a, a 1990s version of Jane Austen's Emma, now set in Beverly Hills. Alicia Silverstone as Cher Horowitz, who's you know, beautiful and popular and, and wealthy. And she decides that she's going to uh, befriend uh, Ty, who's uh, played by the late uh, Brittany Murphy, and give her a makeover. And we know what happens from there. I just watched this recently. It was on. I clicked across it. And, you know, I just, this movie works so much because even though it is initially about superficial appearance obsessed kids, it turns out to be so much more. And a lot of that really, the credit has to go to Alicia Silverstone to share. She's just perfect in that role because there, 
She's a lot smarter than she even realizes. She's got a better heart than she realizes, and, and she can grow up in a way that she didn't see coming. And Paul Rudd, of course, who looks exactly the same as he did then, is the perfect partner for her. It's a little dicey because of the age difference there, but that's the way things were in the 90s, and who gets shit? It, it just works really well. Clueless, one of the best high school movies of all time. Here's another one that you may not have seen, you may have heard of, but I think is a great and also very important high school movie. It's called Cooley High. It was the best of times. They were the best of friends. They made the best of memories. Why don't you go somewhere? Your face is mine. It's from 1975. Well, I guess this is kind of easy shorthand to say this, but it's kind of the, the black high school version of American Graffiti, although it's a completely separate entity and was not based on anything from American Graffiti. Uh, again, it's a movie that came out in the 70s, but it's actually set in the 60s as American Graffiti was. In this case, it's set in 1964 Chicago. In fact, a lot of it uh, was filmed around Cabrini Green, which is the same area uh, where Candyman, all the Candyman movies, the first one and the, the most recent one, that's where those were filmed as well. Coming of age comedy drama film. It's all about these high school seniors and best friends. There's Glenn Turman as Leroy Preach Jackson, Lawrence Hilton Jacobs as Richard Morris, Cochise they call him. And again, you know, we go back to the 70s, but these are kids who just want to have a good time, get into a little bit of trouble, some hijinks and be friends for life. But the world sometimes doesn't let them be kids. I think this film, again, has a big impact on a lot of other high school coming of age movies that have uh, come out since then. Even though this did not cost a lot of money, it actually became a pretty big hit. It made over $13 million in 1975 dollars. That's probably more than 50 million bucks. And it has really become, I think, a film that has gotten a lot of play over the years and a lot more people realizing that Cooley High is a very special film. All right, why don't we take a break? Rokan will tell us about Portillo's and we'll come back with another group of some of the best back-to-school movies of all time. But first, let me tell you about Portillo's. It's one of my favorite places to eat on the planet Earth, and that is absolutely true. I'm not making that up. I, I, I probably order from or eat drive through a Portillo's drive through and eat from Portillo's mm. I probably once a week. Probably, I would say. And you know why? Because they got the best hot dogs, they got the best Italian beef, they got the best Italian sausage, and <laughs> they got great salads, they got great french fries, they got great everything that you want. If it's comfort food or uh, what are they called? Fast casual now, whatever that is, mm. you, you have got to Stop by Portillo's if you haven't done it yet. And if you live outside of the area in which there are Portillo's, you can order the stuff online. And I always tell you, order the chocolate cake because it's the best chocolate cake you're ever going to have in your life. You can think, well, now how is a fast casual restaurant in Chicago going to make the best chocolate cake I ever had in my life? Trust me, it is. There are people all over the planet Earth that actually order that cake for their weddings and they build wedding cakes out of the individual chocolate cakes. I'm not making that up. <laughs> Try it. 
Portillo's.com. P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S. That's how you spell it. Portillo's.com. Welcome back to Screen Time. I'm Richard Roper. It's time to go back to school, and we are taking a look at some of the best high school movies of all time. It's so interesting that so many of these films take place over the course of one day. Some of them will cover an entire year, but we talked about Book Smart, talked about Breakfast Club, and a lot of times it's the first day of school or it could be the last day of school. And in the case of Dazed and Confused, 1993 classic from Richard Linklater, Again, it's the film that was made in the 90s, but is actually set on May 28th, 1976. It's the last day of school at Lee High School in Austin, Texas. Let's give it a listen. You're getting air from there, man. It's no good. It was the last day of school. It was the first day of summer vacation. Do you guys know anything about a party here tonight? No, sir. It was a time they will never forget. <laughs> the 50s were boring. The 60s rock. The 70s, oh my God, they obviously suck. Dazed and confused. See it with a bud. As somebody who actually was in high school in 1976, even though it was Chicago area, not Texas, there's a, a real universal quality to so much that's going on here, from the music to the fashions to this uh, kind of the 70s were an interesting time because by 76, you know, we were a couple of years out of Vietnam. We were a few years past Watergate and the protest movement, but we weren't quite sure who we were as the next generation of Americans. You know, we we're right on the verge of rock and roll kind of colliding with punk. But then there was the disco movement, kind of a strange political time. We were in recessions. Jimmy Carter had become president. And a lot of times in high school, just wanted to live in the moment. And man, did they live in the moment in Dazed and Confused. The classic deal, the deal here is the seniors. When, when you're junior in high school and you're about to become a senior now, because it's the last day of your junior year, you get to prank and torture the incoming freshmen. That's the setup for this. And then it just leads to all kinds of stuff happening over the course of, yes, one crazy night. What a cast. Jason London, Ben Affleck, Mila Jovovich, Cole Hauser, Parker Posey, Adam Goldberg, McConaughey, of course, uh, Nikki Cat, Joey Lauren Adams, and Rory Cochrane. You've probably heard this story a million times, but uh, you know Matthew McConaughey has said that that whole "all right, all right, all right" actually comes from Jim Morrison of the Doors, who said that on stage at a concert at one point, and that's where he got that from, and it's become one of the most iconic moments and lines in movie history. And I love the fact that McConaughey, he owns it. He doesn't care. You know, these Academy Award winner, he gets up there and says, all right, all right, all right. You know, if anybody wants him to say it, he's like, look, it's pretty cool when you say something that early, he just started as an actor in your career and people are still quoting it 30 years later. Loved, dazed, and confused. Well, if you guys know me, you know that I've been a fan of Ferris Bueller's Day Off forever, 1986 classic from John Hughes. And you can find all kinds of writings I've done on it and talked to almost everybody who's in the cast and uh, done tribute to the movie, done showings and screenings of it. And I still love Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's a perfectly constructed, again, it's one day, it's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's getting pretty tough coming up with new illnesses. It's a little childish, but then so is high school. Annie, you're not going to school like this. They bought it. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? Bueller. Cameron, babe. Get dressed and come on over. Oh, 
He has been absent nine times. Bueller. My father spent three years restoring this car. Ooh. I guess that's my dad. Life moves pretty fast. You're crazy! If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. I'll just reiterate that one theory I have that has been quoted by people over the years, and some people think I'm crazy, and some people say, oh, I get where you're coming from here. I still believe that Ferris Bueller's day off is really about Cameron's day off, that Ferris Bueller's friend is depressed, he's isolated, he's socially awkward, he might even be borderline suicidal. We know that his father in particular, at the very least, is verbally abusive to him and has made him feel like he's nothing. That's the whole thing about how the car matters more to him than his son. And I believe that Ferris, along with the amazing Sloan Peterson, played by the great Mia Sarah, listen, they've had days off. The two of them are going to have the brightest futures in the world. They're popular in school. They're good looking. Everybody loves them. They can take a day off anytime they want. It's all about getting Cameron out of his head and getting him to see that there's more to life than he really realizes and that he does have a lot to give to the world and he can become somebody and he needs to stand up for himself. So yeah, of course, it's just a wacky comedy, but there's something kind of lovely about the way Ferris, along with Sloan, really helped uh, Cameron through the day. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, 1986, a classic. And as I mentioned, we're going alphabetical order here because I really do have equal love for all of these great high school films. Here's one that just recently celebrated, believe it or not, a 40th anniversary. Let's take a listen to Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Universal Pictures presents everything you always wanted to do in high school with everyone you always wanted to do it with. Hey, bud. Let's party. They're the students of Ridgemont High. <laughs> I'm so wasted. See Fast Times at Ridgemont High. What I love about Fast Times at Ridgemont High, there were all these bawdy, raunchy high school comedies that came out in the 80s. You know, The Last American Virgin and Porky's and all these kind of things that were really just about let's get people naked and let's just do, you know, stupid frat type of humor. And, you know, Fast Times at Ridgemont High certainly earned its R rating. It's very frank sexually. Uh, a lot of it is about Jennifer Jason Lee's character, you know, deciding that it's time for her to come of age sexually. But it really handles the material in a way that films in 1982 were not doing, including, you know, the whole sequence where Jennifer Jason Lee's character is pregnant and decides to have an abortion. And Judge Reinhold, as big brother Brad, uh, ends up being a great big brother. But it's handled in a sensitive manner. This is also just really this whole film overall, amazing cast, of course, and just so many set pieces that we remember, whether it's Spicoli ordering the pizza in class or Mr. Hand showing up in Spicoli's bedroom at the end of the film because he owes him some time or the uh, the morgue scene with the science teacher, uh, Forrest Whitaker as the football player who thinks the opposition ruined his car, so then he destroys them in a football game. Almost every scene has just a you know perfect, you know, bookend to it uh the music is great a lot of it's set at the mall you have to look up some of you will have to look up what a mall is but fast times at Ridgemont high there's a reason why people still love this one 40 years later now here's one for you that you might have missed and you should check out because this is one of those rare cases where the tv adaptation became more well known more successful if you will than the movie i'm talking about friday night lights from 2004 now 
the genesis of this is there was originally a book by H.G. Bissinger called Friday Night Lights, A Town, A Team, and a Dream. This is a great book to this day if you want to read a book that really captures. This is a nonfiction book about real-life high school football in Texas where it is a religion, and it's all about the 1988 Permian High School Panthers. They were a powerhouse. They're making a run toward the state championship, and H.G. Bissinger just wrote this amazing book that's about so much more than football as the movie and the television series were as well. So then Peter Berg in 2004 did the fictional movie version of Friday Night Lights, but it, it kind of, it pretty much stays pretty true to the book. It's got an amazing cast. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton plays the coach, the new coach of this high school team. And then you've got Derek Luke as the star running back who has, uh, he's got an injury and he's, he, he doesn't want to face up to how serious it is and is willing to do almost anything to stay on the field. Garrett Hedlund, Jay Hernandez, Lucas Black, also playing uh, players. Tim McGraw. This was one of the first times we saw that Tim McGraw could be a great actor. He plays the dad of one of the players, and he was a state champion when he was a player, and he just wants his son to have the same success, but he's an alcoholic, abusive, tough guy who goes about things in the wrong way almost from start to finish, but he has a redemption arc as well. Gentlemen, the hopes and dreams of an entire town are riding on your shoulders. You may never matter more than you do right now. It's time. Do you want to play college ball? Do you want to get out of this town? I think so. Well, why aren't you doing something about it? We got to lighten up. We're 17. You think it's just a game? I think you're scared just like the rest of us. I've seen you fight. I've seen you not quit. Can you give me a great effort and just a little bit more? So let's take care of it! One day, when you look back at this time, I dare you to beat it. I dare you. And the interesting thing about this, on top of everything else, it's just a really, really good sports film and high school film. Connie Britton plays the wife of the coach. She plays Billy Bob Thornton's coach, Gary Gaines's wife, Sharon Gaines. And then when they did the TV version, she played the coach's wife. Again. Kyle Chandler's wife. I mean, completely different character, but I guess they liked her so much playing the coach's wife in the Friday Night Lights adaptation, they brought her back for the series, and she was wonderful in that. But the movie itself, uh, tougher, grittier, rougher than even the television series, which I think is one of the great TV shows of all time. I love Friday Night Lights. But the movie itself, a great high school movie. Now, most of the high school movies we've been talking about are all about the students, but I wanted to also mention a film that's really about a teacher. It's called Mr. Holland's Opus from 1995. Glenn Holland had a lifetime of plans to write a symphony and to raise a family. But before he can fulfill his dreams, he'll have to face the music. It was good. For 30 years, Glenn Holland found a way to make a difference. And of all the lives he changed, the one that changed the most was his own. Mr. Holland, of all the teachers here, you're my favorite. Mr. Holland's Opus. This is a beautiful film. Richard Dreyfuss plays Glenn Holland. He's Mr. Holland. Now, he's this music teacher who wants to become uh, a great composer, but life gets in the way. He ends up, you know, becoming an administrator at the school, running the school band, uh, stage productions. Uh, there's this uh, subplot. He has a son, and in the kind of ultimate 
devastating irony, his son is is born deaf and can't hear music. So here's Mr. Holland, played by by Richard Dreyfus in an Oscar-nominated role, who has dedicated his life to music and kind of ignores his family life and concentrates more on being a father figure to his students, uh, but eventually connects with his son in an absolutely gorgeous way. And this is a film about a teacher who doesn't realize he has the impact he does on his students until very late in the film, in one of the most emotionally moving scenes of all the 1990s, when current and former students get together to actually perform Mr. Holland's opus. Great film about the high school experience told from mostly the teacher's point of view. All right, just a couple of more. I want to go back. Uh, we've been talking mostly about films from the last generation or so, going back to the 70s, but I also want to go all the way back to 1955 for one of the all-time classic coming-of-age, teenage, high school movies, if you will. And that, of course, is Rebel Without a Cause with the great James Dean, Sal Mineo, and Natalie Wood. Let's take a listen. You know what kind of drunken brawls those parties turn into. It's no place for kids. A minute ago, you said you didn't care if he drinks. He said a little drink. You're tearing me apart! What? You, you say one thing, he says another, and everybody changes back again! Girls don't love their father. Since when? Since I got to be 16? Stop that! I love you, Jim. I really mean it. Definitely a film way ahead of its time. It was one of the first films in the Cinemascope format. Nicholas Ray did amazing direction, and the three main stars were incredible. Actually, the film came out shortly after we lost James Dean. James Dean died in that tragic car accident, had done only three feature films, and probably best remembered for Rebel Without a Cause. And let's wind things up with Risky Business from 1983. So your folks are going out of town. Just use your best judgment. You know we trust you. Woo! A good time show. In the privacy of your own home. Just take those old records off the shelf. That's her. She's fantastic. Yeah. I said listen to them by myself. Did you have a good time last night? <laughs> I had a great time. Dave music ain't got the same song. Tom Cruise is Joel Goodson. You know the story. He's got this business club. He's got to come up with a project. And boy, does he come up with a project with the help of Rebecca De Mornay's Lana. And of course, you've got Joe Pantoliano as Guido the Killer Pimp. All these other great supporting acts. This is a film uh, Paul Brickman uh, wrote and directed. This takes place on the North Shore of Chicago, but it's very different from the John Hughes version of the North Shore of Chicago. Uh, when you look back at this movie, it's pretty dark, you know, I mean, when you think about it, because basically Joel uh, his project is pleasure and, uh, having sex workers come to the house, uh, but you know, very funny, you know, the iconic scenes, uh, throughout and obviously the movie that first told us that Tom Cruise was going to become a star. Great high school movies, one and all risky business is our last entry. We could do 30 more, but those are some of my favorites. That's going to do it for this week's edition of screen time. I'm Richard Roper. Thanks for listening. <laughs>